Uh, today, we're going to be continuing our Kingdom Principles series. And I hope you guys this in this last week have planted some seeds. We talked about the importance of planting seeds, and ultimately, that is our responsibility and our part in growing the Kingdom of God and growing our church as well, because we know that ultimately, God is the one that grows a church, whether it is a local church or the kingdom of God. But our part in that, which is so important, is to go out and share the gospel message of Jesus. We need to plant seeds and we need to water them. And if you didn't have an opportunity, because I understand sometimes it can be scary, sometimes, you know, we don't want to overwhelm people with the gospel, then did you pray? Did you say, Lord Jesus, Show me, Holy Spirit, reveal to me who I can share the gospel with and how. What is the best way to do that, Holy Spirit? And then also, did you say, Lord Jesus, help me to water the seeds that have already been planted? I want to encourage you, if you did not do that last week, to do that. Make that something that you guys pray for daily. Say, God, I am so grateful for what you've done for me. I am so grateful that the people that shared the gospel to me, the people that planted seeds in me, that they weren't afraid they didn't hold back. They planted seeds and they watered them. And I am here today because of that. And I want to pay that forward. So I want to encourage all of you to think that way because it's biblical and to pray that way daily for the opportunities and the blessing to share the gospel message and to water those seeds that we plant. Amen. So this week we have another kingdom principle and it is an incredible principle. There is some tough aspects to it. And a lot of these principles they are incredible because there's so much truth, so much incredible power in them if we understand them. But some of the truths behind them can be kind of challenging if we don't understand them. And that's why I want to take our church through these kingdom principles because there are power in these principles, but we have to truly understand them. And as uh, we were praying earlier, Randy mentioned, and I've been mentioning this for probably a month, if not longer, that God has been showing me that our church has a lot of sick people in it. And there are a lot of sick people connected to our church. There's a lot of sickness, a lot of illness, a lot of suffering going on. We know that in the world, but it is really hitting home. And Randy had mentioned earlier that you would think coming out of the pandemic now with being, restrictions being loosened and uh, people getting their vaccines that we'd see people getting healthier. And I would say in regard to our church, it's actually not the case. It's the opposite. We're seeing people get sicker. And so weekly, even as recently as last night, I got a text about praying for someone that was not doing well. And so I've been thinking about this, the principle of prayer. What is it about prayer? Is there something that we need to know about praying? And there is, there is a principle behind praying. And it's this, that a prayer of a righteous person, when it is brought about, can accomplish much. Maybe the version you're reading in the Bible, you've seen it said that the prayer of a righteous person availeth much. And so I want to talk about that because it's an incredible principle because we know that prayer moves God. Prayer is how we commune. Prayer is how we communicate, how we have relationship with God. It's through prayer. And so our Verse of focus, our passage of focus is going to be James 5, 13 through 18. And it's typical that I do. I'm going to be reading it from the NASB. And it says this. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? 
then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous person, when it is brought about, can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured out rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah prayed a prayer that it would not rain for over three years. And this was a guy that was just like us. And that's what happened. God answered his prayer. He effectively changed the weather because of a righteous prayer that was believed in faith. That's how powerful prayers can be if we understand this principle, because there's something to this. And I want to be sure that you realize that even though uh, the NASB, it is the most literal translation and it's saying he is talking to men, realize this applies to women. This is just um, initially taught. And so that's why I want to make sure that you don't think that women are not included in this because women and men, children, you're all included in this. Absolutely. So this principle applies to all of us. And so we're going to talk about this kingdom principle about these prayers, these faithful prayers that can do incredible things if they are made by a righteous person. And so let's take a look at the first aspect of this kind of a prayer. And that is, when should people be praying? And it's really specific. And this is so great. There are three very specific times that this passage tells us that we should be praying. The first one is suffering. The second one is when we are cheerful. And the third is when we are sick. So again, we pray when we are suffering. We pray when we are cheerful. And we pray when we are sick. Now that first one, when we are suffering, it's so interesting because although we can pray, and we often do, we pray for God's intervention. We pray that God will change our situation. When you look at the context of this passage in relation to what precedes it, and what's happening right before this passage is we're seeing persecution. We're seeing the rich landowners persecuting the poor, the poor that are working the fields. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing this persecution, and James is encouraging the persecuted to persevere. So when you take that into consideration and you also look at James's theme, one of his primary themes throughout his book, we see him talking about testing and trials. So we see that what James is saying here is not so much that God would take away the situation or that he would change it. He is encouraging believers to pray that they will have the ability that God will give them the ability to persevere through their situation, not that God will necessarily remove or end the suffering. And this is really important, not that we can't ask God to help us in this situation. If we're out of work for God to help us find a job or if someone is dealing with something to help them with their anxiety. No, that's fine to ask for that. But we also have to understand that we need to pray for God to give us the endurance to persevere through that. And when we think about it, 
I think about this in my own life. The majority of my prayers aren't about persevering. They're not saying, God, help me to persevere through this to get through it. And I need to start making that shift because scripture is telling us that that's what we need to do. Again, it's okay to ask God to change our situation. There's nothing wrong with that. But we have to understand that the focus here is asking God to give us the perseverance and the strength to persevere through whatever we are suffering through. And second, we are to pray when we are cheerful. The passage says that we are to sing praises. And as Pastor Emily mentioned several weeks ago, that worship can be prayer. And I wanted to unpack that a little bit. Emily and I were talking about that last night. We know that when we are praying, we are communicating with God. And so if a worship song, if the lyrics specifically are thanking God or if they are praising him, in other words, if a worship song is all about lifting God up and telling him we are thankful and how great he is, then that really is a prayer, which is different than there, if there is a worship song that is helping us and preparing our hearts to get in the presence of God. And so the Holy Spirit's been convicting me, Andrew, pay attention to the lyrics because they are so incredibly important because there are some worship songs that in a way are kind of for you to get in the presence of God, but there's other worship songs that they are literal prayers to God. They are thanking him. And in the same way that you're going to really pay attention and focus on prayers when you're praying, pay attention and focus when you're worshiping, when you're singing, because they're prayers to God and we need to do that. So the second time that we are to pray, it's when we are cheerful when God is blessing us, when things are happening. And the fact that we can get up in the morning, that's a blessing. So we have a reason every day to worship. We have a reason every day to thank God. Amen. Now, the third time that we are told to pray, it's when we're sick. So the suffering and sickness, two different things. You could be suffering and sitting while you're sick, but this is saying that it's a separate thing that this is when we are sick. And the interesting caveat in this passage is that sick people, we're told, must call the elders of the church to pray over them. And so I want to encourage you that if you are sick, let Pastor Emily, let myself know so we can have the prayer ministry so we can be praying for you. Maybe it's, it's coming to see you and anointing with you with oil and praying over you. That's what this passage specifically in this context is talking about. But this applies to all of us. But that's the importance of letting your pastors know if you're sick and if you need someone to pray for you. So again, those three times are when we are suffering, we pray. When we are cheerful, we pray. And when we're sick, we pray as well. Now, this passage is one, this is where the different versions of the Bible and having some understanding of the original languages, it's really important. Because the New American Standard Bible, that's the one that I prefer to use, the NASB. And sometimes I, I get the, the A and the S kind of screwed up. So just know that Emily calls me out on that all the time. But the NASB, which I've mentioned, is recognized as the most literal translation of the Bible. It says, must pray. That if we are suffering, we must pray. If we are sick, we must ask people to pray. We must ask the elders to pray for us. Whereas the New International Version, the NIV, which is the most widely used version of the Bible in the world, and other versions, it says should pray. 
Now, the Greek word for pray in this passage, it is in the, in the imperative mood. And for you that are linguists, you know that the imperative mood, it can either be a command or it can be a request. In Greek, that's what it is. It's a command or request. So context is important to say, what is this word saying? And again, when you look at the subject matter, when you look at what precedes and what comes after, you see that what makes the most sense, because again, we talked about the persecuted, um, the workers of the field being persecuted, they are told you must pray. It's not, you know, you should pray. It's probably a good idea. No, it's a command. You must pray. If you are suffering, you must pray. It fits so much better. So this again is a place where having an understanding of the language and how it's used in context makes a big difference. So when we are suffering, when we are joyous, when we are happy, we need to be praying. And when we are sick, we need to be praying as well. Now the passage, it also mentions the kind of prayer that needs to be lifted up, the kind of prayer that we need to be praying. And it says that the prayer must be a prayer of faith. So what exactly is a prayer of faith or what is a prayer that is lifted up or offered in faith? Well, quite simply, it's a prayer that has no doubts. James addresses this in James 1 verses 6 through 8 in the NASB. James says this, he says, but he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And again, when I'm saying he, we're talking everybody, he and she. In Matthew 21, verse 22, it says this, and whatever you ask for in prayer, believing, you will receive it all. Now, you may be asking yourselves this question. Does that mean if someone's prayers are not answered, they do not have enough faith? No, absolutely not. That is not what it means. And we have to be really careful that we don't think that's what it means. Because there are many Christians faith or walk away from their faith because they have been told that. So again, just because yours or someone else's prayers are not answered, it doesn't mean that you don't have a strong enough faith. This is where the other aspect of these faithful prayers or the prayers offered in faith comes in. And that is having a complete trust and acknowledgement of God's will. It means understanding that God's ways are not our ways. And what God desires and what his plans are, they are way more important than what our desires and our plans are. And ultimately, his plans and his desires, they're better for us in the long run. So we have to understand that. That is part of that faithful prayer. It's understanding that what God wants trumps anything that we want. Even if it's tough, even if it makes us sad, what God wants is the most important. And this is not an easy place to get to. That's the, re uh, that's the reason why maturing as a Christian, it is an ongoing process that never stops. 
And it's also why James says what he does in James 1, verses 2 through 4. In the NASB, it says this, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It, it, it produces perseverance. And let that endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that perfection, it's not that we're perfect. It means our faith is perfect. It means it's that faith that doesn't doubt, but it's that faith that also understands God's will is the most important. And that's, again, a challenging place to get to. And that's why we need to continue to grow in our faith. We can't just stay where we're at. So we've talked about now when we should pray. And we just finished talking about what kind of prayer should be offered up to God. Let's spend some time and let's talk about the specific individual that prays. Because in this passage, we are told that it is a righteous person. And when that righteous person brings that faithful prayer, that can accomplish much. So what is it exactly that makes a person righteous? Well, first, it's important to understand a few things about righteousness. And the first and most important thing is that no one except God is truly righteous. And that's because righteousness is being morally right and being just. Basically, it's being perfect. And we know that the only perfect person is God. The only perfect person that had like human flesh form is Jesus. Romans 3.10 in the NASB, it says this. It says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And then in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20, also in the NASB, it says, indeed, there is not a righteous person on earth who always does good and does not ever sin. So we have to understand there is no one except for God that is truly righteous. But scripture, it also tells us that because of God's love for us and sending his son Jesus to die for our sins, those who have a genuine faith in him, in God, in Jesus, will be viewed righteous in God's eyes. Romans 4, 5, it says this, it says, but to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So it's basically saying we can't work. We don't work for our salvation. It's the one that believes. And so when we believe, when we truly believe that we're justified and God, he sees us as being righteous, being in right standing with him, that's so incredible because we can never be perfect. Reflect on that for a moment, that humans who are sinful were completely flawed. We are far from being perfect in any way, shape, or form. That if we believe in Jesus with all our heart and all of our mind, we will be found in right standing before God. But here's the thing. There's always a but. <laughs> but here's the thing. Scripture also tells us that we need to seek to be righteous in the way that we live. 
Again, we need to seek to be righteous, even though we are in right standing before God if we believe in him. That's not the end. We have to seek to be righteous. We need to seek to be in right standing with God in the way that we live. Matthew 5, 6 in the NASB, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Those who seek to be in right standing with God, they will be satisfied. 1 Timothy 6, 11 in the NASB, it says, But flee from these things talking about fleshly sinful things, you man of God and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Again, we are told throughout the Bible to seek righteousness in the way that we live. So how do we do this? How do we be in right standing with God? Well, I want to give you a few suggestions to get you on that right path. One, it's seek to be in God's presence daily. And this is the theme for the church this year. It's daily walking with God. Spend time in prayer. Spend time worshiping. Spend time reading the Bible, doing your devotionals. Spend time talking with other Christians about Jesus. That's how you spend your daily time with God. And go out and plant seeds. We need to do that on a daily basis. And we need to seek him with all of our heart. Make God the passion of our life, the thing that we are most moved by, the thing that motivates us more than anything, the thing that we are most passionate about. We need it to be God. And we need to seek him daily. Next, we have to understand that we cannot, again, we cannot please God in our sinful state. And that is because sin causes us to be unrighteous before God. So in other words, even though we are found righteous or in right standing with God, when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we screw it up all the time because of sin. So that is why we have to understand that even though we are found righteous, God accepts us as his children, right? We we accept him. We have eternal life in heaven with them. We have been forgiven of our sins. We're going to continue sinning. So therefore, we have to understand we have to do something about that. And it's interesting that while James 5 verses 13 through 18, it talks about those prayers for suffering and physical healing. And when we are joyous, James also stresses the importance of receiving spiritual healing through the forgiveness of sins. And the reason for this is because when our hearts are spiritually unhealthy due to sin, we seek worldly desires of the flesh instead of what the Spirit of God desires. And James also wants us to understand that sin, because it it causes us to be unrighteous before God, it impacts our prayers. Again, sin impacts our prayers. And although God, through his gracious mercy, can answer the prayers of the unrighteous, even those who do not believe in him, God can answer people that are not Christians. He can answer their prayers. How do we know this? Well, before any of us became Christians, we prayed a prayer for salvation. We prayed for Jesus to enter our hearts and 
He did. He heard those prayers. And so God can answer the prayers of the unsaved in regard to salvation. And sometimes he'll answer other prayers as well. But here's the thing. Although we know that can happen and that is true, Scripture shows us that more times than not, unrighteousness, which is caused by sin, can be an impediment to our prayers. There are many, 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 many verses about this that Emily told me, yeah, I need to cut this list down. So I have four for you. John 9, verse 31 in the NASB. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if someone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Proverbs 28, verse 9 in the NASB. These will all be from the NASB. One who turns his ear away from listening to the law, in this case, the Bible, even his prayer is an abomination. And in this case, we're talking men, women, children, does not matter. That our prayers are an abomination. 1 Peter 3, verse 12 in the NASB, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, those that are on right standing with God, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against evildoers. And then the last one to drive this point home, and I'm sure it's already been driven, but, you know, we'll go that extra step. Isaiah 59, verse 2. But your wrongdoings have caused a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. I was talking to Emily uh, the Holy Spirit just wanted me to add this thing this morning, and that's, as I preached several weeks ago, we have to understand that sin is not just some do's and don'ts in the Bible. They are a heart condition. Things like sexual, more, sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, and there's a lot of indecent behavior, right? Big, wide list. Not everything's going to be in the Bible that's in that list of indecent behavior. Idolatry. That's not just worshiping idols of other religions. You could worship yourself. You could worship your job. You could worship money. There's lots of things. Even ministry can become an idol. So lots of things become idol. Witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. I don't know if we ever think that that can be a sin, that maybe am I so motivated to serve myself to become the best for me, not because God wants it, but because I do, that's a sin dissensions. Are you bringing unity or disunity? Factions. There's cliques out there. There's groups of people out there that are causing separation. It's a sin. Envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this. And if you're wondering why that sounds so familiar, it's because it's Galatians 5 verses 19 through 21. So understand the point I'm trying to make here. We sin on a daily basis. Sadly, probably the second we get up in the morning, we've already sinned. Probably by the time we've gone to, night, gone to bed at night, we've sinned a hundred times. I hope not, but I'm sure it's more than once. We have to understand that because when we hear verses like this that talk about our prayers being inhibited, oftentimes we try to do this mental separation and we say, oh, I didn't do this major thing. I didn't rob someone or kill someone. So I, I, that doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does because sin applies to you. And unfortunately, we can there's nothing we can do. We cannot be completely rid of the sickness of sin. 
So the third thing we need to do to keep us on the path of righteousness is we need to confess our sins. And James stresses the importance of this in the first half of verse 15, uh, verse 50, verse 16, excuse me. So in James 15, 16, this is that same verse that we learn that the prayers of a righteous person can accomplish much. It starts out saying this, it says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So that's the first thing we need to do. We need to confess, confess to God. And in some cases, it's confessing to one another. We have to have discernment in there. And, you know, I had a conversation with some people about that, that there's certain people we can confess sins to, and there's certain we can't because it might not be a safe situation. And I get that. So understand that as we're looking at this verse, but we need to confess our sins and pray for one another that we may be healed of that sickness of sin. And then we see that the prayer of a righteous person, when it is brought about, it can accomplish much. We also see this in 1 John, verse 1, 9 in the NASB, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sins, and the reason why it is good to confess your sins to a prayer partner, to an accountability partner, is that then those sins don't get hidden. We can reveal them and people can help us to work through them. We can pray for forgiveness. And then we don't do anything to impede our sins because again, we sin daily. That's why it's good to confess your sins to one another so we can be praying that God will help us with those struggles. But obviously we need to confess those sins to God because he sees them anyway. And he is ultimately the one that will help us to be in right standing with him. And there are so many other things that we can do, whether it's spending time in God's word, worshiping, all these things that we could do to stay on that path of righteousness. But the three that I mentioned are the keys to getting started on that path. So that's daily walking with God. It's understanding that we cannot please God in our sinful state. And then we need to confess and repent of our sins. Those are the things that we need to do. This week, as I close up, we've learned that that kingdom principle, you know, that when we lift up faithful prayers, when we truly believe and don't doubt, and we also know that God's will is what is most important, however he answers a prayer. When prayers like that are made by a righteous person, someone who is in right standing with God, there's incredible power in those prayers. And this could be prayers for someone who is suffering, prayers when someone is so excited and happy, or prayers for when someone is sick. These things are so important and they have so much power. But it is so important that we get in that right standing with God because those prayers that can avail much, that can do so many things, they might not be heard from God if we're not in right standing with God. And so I want to encourage you this week, even tonight, even in group, to ask God for forgiveness. You know, whenever we take communion, we go to scripture 
And Pastor Emily reminds us that we have to take time. Scripture tells us to pray and ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us if there's any sin that we didn't even recognize. And church, I listed a whole lot of sins. We sin all the time. And sometimes we sin so easily because we don't realize something is a sin because society maybe tells us it's not a sin, or maybe we don't even realize it's a sin because we try to make it, we try to minimize it. But that's why we need to take that time and have the Holy Spirit reveal to us if there's something that we're missing. Because we don't want things to impede our sins. We want to be a church that lifts up faithful prayers. We want to see people healed. We want to see people's suffering end. We want to thank God for who he is. But it all starts with becoming or, or being in right standing with God. I pray that you'll join me now as we pray together. Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would forgive us. Lord, forgive me, Lord, if there are things that I have done, Lord Jesus, that have offended you, Lord. If there is anything that I've done, maybe I thought it was the right thing to do, Lord, but you didn't. If I have hurt other people, Lord, if I've even sinned against myself, Lord, I pray that you would forgive me. I pray, Lord, that that would be a prayer that all of us would have. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us if there is any sin in us that we are not recognizing, if there is any sin that we are minimizing, I pray that you would convict us, Holy Spirit, to repent. So we can be in right standing with you, God, so that our prayers will not go impeded. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to mature as Christians so we can lift up those prayers that have no doubt, Lord, that you do and can answer any prayer, Lord, but that we understand that what your will is and what your desires are for us and for the world are what's most important. I pray that we would understand that. Lord, we love you. We are your servants. And we thank you so much for everything that you have done for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.